Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to a very, very special edition of the Music Podcast with Dave and Neil. We are in the depths of Sydney's Four Seasons Hotel. Live from the Four Seasons. Well, not live well, because it's pre recorded. Uh, <laughs> but we're here with a very special guest, and um, I kind of feel embarrassed because this man will show me up in any form of audio presenting. Mr. Pete Tong, thank you for coming oh, on. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my humble abode here on, the, on is, the rocks. Is this, this? I imagine, isn't the room they've got you sleeping in? Uh, <laughs> like it's a little I took bit the bed out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pop the yeah. bed out and uh, yeah. just brought in some, some beautiful paintings of, um, of Sydney so yeah. you don't have to go out and uh, have just a look at it. Window, anyway. See, it's fine. It's fine. I feel like you're betraying BBC Radio 1 right now. I mean, you are on our podcast. This, this is very daunting it's Almost for us. a direct competitor yeah. to right. BBC, I, I imagine. Um, how, how's, uh, how's that feel? I like podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I've really embraced the whole, um, I don't know, it must be 10 years ago now when they first kind of started I, I really got into the idea. Um, but then I realized it was kind of just doubling up what I was doing on the radio anyway. And then, um, <laughs> and then obviously the whole thing, you could, it's difficult to play music on a podcast without jumping through all the hoop, legal mm. hoops. But yeah. Yeah. I, actually just, I actually just started listening to podcasts again. Um, I, I, I'm name dropping now, but um, Malcolm Gladwell walked into an office I was working in um, a couple of weeks ago. I never realized he did one that's actually so successful. Mm. Um, yeah, sure. And it just made me curious to go looking again. And um, yeah, so yeah. So what are you getting I'm, stuck I'm happy to be on your moment. podcast. <laughs> what, what are you getting stuck into at the moment? What's the, what's the go? Well, I was listening to him and then, um, you know, some comedy ones and then like just, you know, guru ones, you know, mm. spiritual ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess um, it's useful like when you're, because you spend a lot of time on the road. Like what are your, your strategies when you're, when you're moving about to, to stay well, safe? Well, kind of just... I think it's more about putting, you know, it's just slowing down, basically. I mean, I, I have a crazy busy life where I spin a lot of plates and I do, you know, I'm known publicly for, you know, being Pete Tong, the radio guy or the DJ. Um, but I've always had, um, I, I started DJing so long ago that I had to have a day job. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I got into the record business, so I was—I've always been in, involved in, in the music business from behind the scenes, from an A and R aspect. And then I've been involved with a, a, a big um, booking agency, um, entertainment agency WME IMG, for the last um, since 2008. And that actually went so well that took that moved me to LA. So I live in LA now because of the work I do with them. So um, when I have downtime, I um, I I've. I've certainly don't want to be looking at my phone um so it's you know listening to music or making music i mean funny enough the other thing is making music um came late in life to me because you know when i started djing um djs didn't really make music you know mm. um it was so hard you know like growing up in the late 70s um you know you to, to, to make music you had to get a, you know you had to be a singer or in a band and you had to get a record deal and then get someone else to pay to put you in a studio yeah. so the whole idea of um you know making music I, I, I didn't really focus on that at the beginning and I, and I got into I was more behind the scenes signing people um and helping them make music but I've been around music all my life and kind of self-taught now with Ableton and Logic and stuff like that and that's that what you'll find me noodling on planes doing that <laughs> to so, go back to the booking for a second can you clarify this I read this somewhere you actually booked Culture Club's first gig before people knew who Culture Club were. That's a very... Um, Loose fact. 
That's a very yeah random <laughs> fact you picked up there. Is it true? I used to yeah. It's well, I don't know about first gig, but um, yeah, I used to, I used to um, yeah, I, I did. I mean, kind of entrepreneur, I did entrepreneurial spirit back in the day. But to to become, you know, I grew up in a county called Kent, which is outside of London, mm-hmm. and um, you know, when I kind of started DJing, like you literally was like pubs and weddings and bar mitzvahs, and then realized I wanted to kind of specialize in something and kind of got into jazz funk and soul and the dance music of the day like early electro and hip hop and um to be to get known like as a you know because you couldn't like make make music it was about working alongside your peers so I I ran clubs you know and then to book the famous DJs of the day to come down from London and see me (laughs) and then me like hopefully get booked by them back in London um, and so I, I ran a club in, um, or I ran a night in a, in a town called Dartford, um, where I was born and we, I used to book bands there. So I was, I booked Pride in the early days, which was, um, Sade's band before she was Sade. Yeah. And, um, I booked Blue Rondo a la Turk and like, and that, that subsequently moved me into London. And then I, I ran a night, um, at a club called the Barracuda in Baker Street and it was um, the night it was quite famous at the time called Family Function and I used to book bands there as well and that's where I booked Culture Club and it was a time when they had a single called White Boy um, I got I got on quite well with with John Moss I seemed to know him from somewhere the, the drummer and um, yeah met George and um, yeah so I did <laughs> you become quite smug now when you see George Ryan remember who who booked you buddy I, to be honest I forgot about that until <laughs> you told me really? <laughs> so I don't really know you know, years years later him. I ended up working alongside him on um, you know when the compilation market was really exploding and I, I me and him did the first three years of the annual together yeah um, and we we were selling like a million copies every Christmas and it was just mm-hmm. like mad no, no, nobody sells that kind of number now but yeah so yeah, I found myself years later working alongside him when he decided to become a DJ. Yeah. So. I, mean, I remember the, the event that was the annuals coming out mm. and I think that it was the only sort of um, compilation album I would buy because it was, what, it was what you'd whip out at a house party mm. to show all your friends yeah. how cool you were yeah. was to whip out the old annual. <laughs> the annual, yeah. Um, I mean, do you get that quite a bit? I mean, people sort of throwing back to like the, like the really sort of early stuff that you, you did? I mean, it's, it's one of the enjoyable things about, you know, doing the classics tour now and working with the Heritage Orchestra and Jules Buckley is it's the first time in my life, really, um, where I'm looking backwards. I, I think I spent so much time looking forward, you know, worrying about missing the next thing that I've never really been a DJ that, um, you know, I never did oldies sets particularly. Um, partly because my record collection was always in a bit of a mess because I was always moving <laughs> houses and uh, my record collection got so big. My, my dream, or I have a, this recurrent dream of, of having a big room, like twice the size of this or something, with records all the way around the edges, all perfectly filed where I can go. And then I could do an oldies set. But in reality, my records have been <laughs> like in storage in different parts of the world at various, all, all, pretty much my whole life. So it's never been that easy for me to do that. So, but, but, but also, I just spend so much time trying to break the next big thing or to tell people about the next big thing or worrying about what the next big thing is that I don't often look backwards. So um, this this tour I'm doing now with the orchestra is really the first time um, I'm ever doing playing oldies. I mean, obviously I drop old records in sets, but not like, you know, and I've done the odd compilation for, for labels, but um, 
you know those those albums then you know which which yeah people still come up to me and ask me about them they were the records of that year mm. you know so it wasn't like we were going back you know 20 30 years before um so yeah i mean but people do ask me about it yeah, yeah. i think one of the re one of the reasons the classic show from the first gig we did at the royal albert hall one of the reasons it resonated with people is obviously they it fits it's like you know maybe i should have you know done it before <laughs> and um but me playing those records because i was so involved in the story of of those records breaking people kind of get it and it kind of it's probably been one of the smoothest you know for someone that spent his whole life trying to tell people like you gotta listen to this you gotta listen to this whether it be me on the radio me in a club or me signing something and trying to convince people it's good um it's always been hard doing that <laughs> as much as i love it but actually me getting on stage and performing um you know strings of life is that's easy mm. <laughs> well it's not easy but it's like that the reaction's been amazing so totally. um people get it is is there a different setup on stage i mean obviously you have been playing for many years by yourself on stage but then you have to bring in 66 if we're counting jules oh, other people on stage with can you can we just talk about this orchestra yeah. for a second <laughs> yeah. like like where did this this come from i mean basically it was a bit bit of luck um that in 2015 the i mean there's a series of classical concerts in in london that's been going on like 100 years believe it or not um <laughs> at the royal albert hall where they celebrate you know the you know the classics you know beethoven mozart you name it performed by amazing orchestras from all over the country um and in in recent years they wanted to contemporize the idea to keep it going and like how do we attract young people to it so they've experiment it was some more kind of radical um ways of pre presenting music with an orchestra so they asked they asked radio one if if they'd get involved and it was 2015 it happened to be the 20th anniversary of me um taking radio one down to ibiza to broadcast and we thought what an amazing way to celebrate the 20th anniversary of doing that so i i was asked if I wanted to do it I said yes never done anything like it before didn't really know what I was doing I got introduced to Jules Buckley um, and the Heritage Orchestra they'd worked with Basement Jacks they'd worked with Goldie so I knew, I knew they'd you know they came with great reputations um, and we, we we went at it and I, I had we had a 70 minute slot to fill and we spent I spent six months working on that with Jules um, to plan it you know curating the music put, putting it in the right order cutting all the tracks down to fit I, I wanted to do like 70 tracks at the beginning like one minute each <laughs> and uh once i realized what jules had to do to make it work with an orchestra he has to write out almost by hand the the, the score for each of the players for 65 players so we ended up doing 20 tracks um but it took six months to get it to to to, to the point in july the 29th when we did the show um and so that's how it started. <laughs> yeah, wow. And like, I mean, obviously you knew you were onto something pretty gold. Yeah, I mean, within the first soon. track, the first track, the opening track's right here, right now. And um, by the time we got to this um, kind of hand clapping percussion break, like three, 4,000 people in the Albert Hall, you're in the round. So I'm, I'm standing at the back and like everybody was on their feet and we all like looked at each other and it was like something's going on here this is this is a bit special and the rest of the show went by in a bit of a blur um and we all got backstage afterwards it was like my god that was the most fun thing we've ever done or i've ever done and how you know it was, it was immediately it was talk of how are we going to do it again because there was no plan it was just an appointment 
Um, there was no plan, no discussion at any point about doing it again um, until we finished. And then it was like, let's go and do Glastonbury. Let's go and do, literally <laughs> within, within about two minutes of being backstage, let's do Sydney Opera House. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> That's, and you are playing uh, Sydney tonight. We are recording on Wednesday. This is Wednesday, right? This is Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, you're yeah, playing tonight. Sydney tonight. This podcast doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Melbourne yeah. on Friday. When was the last time you were even in Australia to play? Actually, a few years ago, yeah. not that long ago, um, I played Sydney Club and a, I think I played Marquee. Yep. Yeah, sure. And then I did an after party, which was actually really good. And then I, after hours, and then I did Melbourne. I did the, um, it was a crazy gig. I did the, the tennis, the open. So oh, where the, they, where the they Australian have, Open, yeah, yep. But they have a beer garden, right? But obviously in Australia, beer gardens like bigger than the actual arena. <laughs> you know, it's like monstrous. So um, We're disgusting. We apologize. I think that was 2014, maybe, or 15. Okay. But I used, to, I used to come to Australia like a lot, like late 90s. Um, yeah. My... Yeah, my first wife's brother lives here still, um, and we always—I I used to come down here with Nikki Holloway. We did tours and um, Horden Pavilion. I remember the mm -hmm. black, black black parties back in the day. Mm. Um, and then I don't know, life just got in the way, and I didn't come as much. So, and I never, I never actually did the uh, festival circuit properly here, like the, which I know is gone now. But the um, summer days and the Stereosonics mm. and the future festivals and so. Yeah, we should we should yeah. talk about that actually yeah. because like, I'm, yeah. I'm surprised you you know about that because it's it's a pretty big deal in Australia that yeah. you know we lost Stereo Sonic we lost Future yeah uh, Summer Days what else is there Good Vibrations I mean it Park was Life. like over a period of of what felt like th three four years yeah. we just lost one after the other after the other I mean do you guys hear about that the, yeah yeah I mean I do because that? I obviously work again with WME and I we book acts on them all the time and all my mm. friends are constantly on tour I, I don't mean I could ever. I could never spend that far away, that long away. Because if you wanted to go on one of those tours, you tended to have to do the three weekends or the four weekends. Yeah, of course. Um, but no, I think, I don't know. This, you know, I always get nervous about a country where the, um, the club scene doesn't, you know, the club scene is is not really running the show. When, when, when you come to a country where the festivals is all they've got, no, that's not to say that you didn't mm. have clubs, but the club sure. scene was always a bit fits and starts in Australia. And I, so I think the foundations of the whole thing were a little bit shakier down here. Yeah. Um, You're aware for of whatever, Sydney's for lockouts, reason. right? Hmm? You're aware of Sydney's lockout laws, right? Yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that. So, and, then, and then the festivals kind of take over and then the festivals become obviously all the acts from all over the world come to the festivals and um, a lot of production and effort goes into the festivals and the marketing and the market like lives for these moments um, and it's good but it can't it it you know eventually it, it means that they've all got to get different acts they've all got to look yeah. different and I, and I know there was talk of you know too many of the festivals relying on the same set of headliners and they all starting to look the same so market economics kind of um, chews you up and spits you out I guess mm. so and then you're then you're left with like you know, then what happens to the club scene? You start talking about the lockout laws and all the issues that you've had here. So it's like a combination of things has been has been unfortunate. But I'm hearing good things about some of the boutique festivals. Yeah. They're kind of creeping back up. Yeah. It's kind of um, what sort of happened is that things have sort of just gotten a little bit smaller. I mean, not, not uh, you know, we haven't lost yeah. the number of it. We've just got yeah. lots of sort of smaller festivals. Yeah. I mean, the UK had this similar thing in like the early 2000s of too many, too many events and too many everything. And then it needs a kind of, 
a re um, a readjustment, <laughs> retraction kind of start again. So is it is new it the energy. UK where they just trialed pill testing as well? Because you know a lot of the reason with with lockout laws and dance festivals in particular, they say yeah. you know kids go to these festivals and they take drugs and they overdose and very over the top. Um, it almost was going to be trialled at a Canberra festival called. Stilton yeah, no, in the UK and, and to a certain extent the US. I think the UK has been good. I mean, it's been fascinating. Um, you know, working with Radio One and the BBC over my career because I think there's always been a an attitude about um, you know when, when bad stuff happens like that, you don't just like shut everything down and like hide in a bunker. You you actually the BBC's mission was always to edu- educate. You know, so. Um, and, and I guess that, that you know that, that we should be proud of that in the UK. I mean, it's not you know there's always going to be issues, but um, in general, it's been a more open debate. You know, mm. um, you know, come come, you know, either amnesties or like drug testing. I like was actually testing the drugs, you know, before you take them. Um, you know, so it's but you know you just got to keep 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 an open debate. And I'm hearing just in the last 24 hours, it, you know, some people have said to me that in Australia, it's in, in Sydney in particular. It was just a bit more like just shut it all down, shut it all down, and yeah. hope it will go away. Yeah, well, it won't go away. It'll, people will find a way. Of, you know, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I think it's literally so, what's happened. Yeah. Like, Into the think, darkness. I don't yeah. think that that, as yeah. far as lockouts being improved, yeah. I don't think there is an improvement to it. Yeah, I just think that we need something else that yeah. isn't a lockout law. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you're currently you're in you're in, in an arena tonight uh, with a 60 piece orchestra. How do you how do you top that? How do you how do you get bigger than that? Do you? Um, Can you? Well, this um, it's still really early in this project, so um, we're kind of it's such a um, it's it's such a monstrous kind of logistical (laughs) thing to put together. That um, I mean, by the time we play tonight, I think I don't even know if. Maybe it's the fifteenth show or the third, fourteenth show. Sure. So, and there's these gaps in between when you get together. So, um, certainly from my standpoint and Jules's standpoint, we're still kind of refining this thing. If you think of yeah. a band's career of getting together and the amount of shows you play before you get, you know, really good. Um, so we're learning all the time, and um, the way I integrate into the orchestra is changing constantly. Um, because you don't get that much rehearsal time. Because again, it's quite hard to get everyone together. Sure. So some. Th- you know, I've pointed out to people that um, they're not playing along with me. Um, there's no, there's no kind of backing track coming off my turntables or anything. Everything's live from the ground up, and I'm actually playing along with them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting cued in by the conductor, um, by Jules, to spin in certain loops and percussion things and effects. And my, as we do more shows, um, we kind of experiment a little bit more with that. Yeah. And so, and also the first album. Yeah, we we got to make two albums. The second one hasn't come out yet, but the first album was like um, a roundup, like a collect collection of all the things that we'd been performing. So it, everything was scored out already, and it was just a case of going in. And it was um, we did that last August September, and it was a bit like um, recording like the Band Aid record or something. It was like it was like <laughs> it was like insane. It was like twenty four hours a day for about two weeks. We got this whole thing recorded. Um, but but all the all the kind of legwork had been done. We'd performed a lot of the, most of the tracks already, all the tracks already, and Jules had done all the score already. Whereas this album, it was much more like an artist album. Mm-hmm. That um, even though you're still reinterpreting other people's songs, it was all from scratch. Um, and this one we've been doing from May through to September, October. Um, 
and it's it's that's been a real cathartic experience for me because even though as i say it's, it's other people's songs but we've tried to i've tried to do every track and like justify its existence you know that it's not just a straight up cover of the original that yeah. it can sit alongside as a compliment to the original never going to be better than the original but people hopefully can enjoy it as um as just something a bit different so sure. you know sometimes like with unfinished sympathy instead of a girl singing we've got sam henshaw singing a guy um you know, Sebastian Tellier's La Ritonelle, we've kind of turned it on its head and turned it into a song, whereas the original was almost an instrumental. Um, so we tried to be inventive and creative with all that. And in terms of your... So, and again, get, just getting back to that point, where yeah. did you go from here? We just, I just feel like we're just getting started, so... Yeah, because I, mean, I was going to ask, I mean, in terms of your mentality around it, I mean, it's not Pete Tong with an orchestra. This is a different... This is a project. This is a... Yeah, I really want it... Um, I mean, it came together in a way where... You know, even the way we interact with the music, with the record business, it's like, at the beginning, just it was, I guess, you've, it gets filed away as like a compilation album. It's a, mm. it's a compilation album on steroids. It's definitely different to what anyone else has done before. Um, but it's still a collection of old music. Um, and it's taken a while to kind of, to, to get per the perception changed. I mean, f for me, it's much more, it's, it feels like an artist project, really. And hopefully in time, you know, we've already recorded two original tracks that aren't on this album because they're not a B for Classics, but they'll come out next year in some shape or form. So that's another, we'll just start experimenting with it that way as well. So We should quickly talk about the Australian supports as well because you mentioned a couple of singers that you've had uh, at the Sydney and Melbourne shows. You've got uh, Sneaky Sound Systems, Miss Connie, Connie uh, yeah. Handy Phoenix, Remy. Yep. Yep. Were these handpicked? You well, like Connie, Connie um, I've known those guys for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of mutual friends, Kaz James being one of them. Um, and I started, I, I mean, I remember them from back in the day and I, I've i kind of crossed paths with them when I've come down here. But but in the last couple of years, I've been going to Mykonos um, where Sneaky have been resident on Sundays at Scorpios with Kaz. And um, this, this time, just gone in August, um, Connie was there. Um, I spoke to her about it then and um, obviously I already knew I was coming here and so she was like my number one draft pick mm. as an obvious person to do it. Thandy, I was just looking for someone younger, um, up and coming with more of a kind of swagger and a bit of like urban flavour. Fun uh, fact, she brings cake. Last yeah, she's we definitely had her on the show, she brought us cake. Yeah. 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 And, and we, I mean, she's, because she's performing the song that Ray did with Jax Jones. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, and I was recommended her through the label. Um, so that's great. And Remy, um, you know, we, the, the first time in the world we're ever going to perform Galvanize is actually tonight. Um, so that's one of the tracks Spoilers. on the new album. And, uh, you know, the, the original's done by Q-Tip. Um, we've done it with Reggie Snow in the UK, who's like a really hot rising star. And I was actually present, I was, I was suggested that two or three other people, um, that were pretty good and then I was I was suggested someone else for another track a, a singer and then I saw this rapper featuring on this track and it was like that's the guy I want Sweet. so I kind of I, I kind of feel, feel like I just you know I found him by accident and mm. then asked people to go and reach out to him and fortunately he said yes so we never met <laughs> but Maybe. I know he sounds good good luck have you, have, yeah. you guys have rehearsals if you've only been here for 24 hours have you well we did, we did rehearsals last night but yeah. not with the singers I met Thandy came and watched what we were doing but um, cool. she, she's does her I think she did actually I, I, she did a little bit last night but she did the proper full on dress rehearsals today yeah yeah amazing
Before we wrap up, I wanted to um, I wanted to ask because obviously you are one of the uh, the pioneers, uh, especially in the last what four, three, four decades. Right. And I remember, I mean, we're only what mid twenties, twenty six. You, I remember you do remember early on, yeah. <laughs> early on, I remember like this is like early yeah. Calvin Harris days, and I remember you. I forget what song it was, but yeah. you were like, "This guy's one to watch." Yeah. Are you comfortable where, where the like you mentioned before that you're always trying to look forward and bring yeah. out the new talents? Are you comfortable where dance is now? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I find these transition periods probably the most interesting. You know, when things are full blown and start to get a bit cookie cutter, and I mean that in the way that you know, I'm into the originals of the leaders of everything that open the doors for people. And I guess, um, you know, particularly with the EDM kind of wave, you know, there were, there, you have, you have your Swedish house mafias and your David getters and respect to them. And then you have, you know, a hundred people that want to sound like them, but they're never going to be like them. Mm. <laughs> um, so those, those times are less interesting to me. I start to tend to look to the edges or the underground for what's coming next. I think, um, we're in a, kind of brave new world at the moment where no one really knows like there's no there's not one dominant um sound or or movement as such so it's an it's a, i find those times really really interesting i feel the one you know i f when i travel the world i think if i think there's a kind of unspoken craving for live acts actually i think you know, that's, that's where there's the most, the biggest gap in terms of an opportunity. I mean, the world doesn't really need another, you know, the, the world's going to get another 100,000 DJs, but um, we got a lot already. Mm. <laughs> and some of them are pretty good. Um, but we don't have many acts like Daft Punk, or we don't have many acts like um, Empire of the Sun, or we don't, you know. So I think that's where there's space out there to come along and make a real impact. And that's probably where I'd spend most of my time looking right now. Um, you know, if there's an act out there and you, you know, you look like the weekend and the two guys behind you sound like Daft Punk, <laughs> I want to sign you. <laughs> That'll do. So, done. Well, if you're that person, yeah. uh, call yeah. right now. <laughs> I've been taking yeah, notes. Call in. Oh, eight, oh, eight hundred. <laughs> exactly. Pete, thanks so much Thank for coming you. on the show. Can, do you mind taking us out? Is that okay? Yeah, you can come with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, literally, oh, take, take out, it out. We, I mean, you can take us out of the show and then we can go out after right. this show. We can do both those things. Go out, yeah. I think we wanted to use your radio skills yeah. to, to maybe just wrap us up. That's okay. after okay. you're right, in the take deep us end. Out. Oh, I yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> take us out. What do you want me to say? Uh, <laughs> That's it. How do you wrap up a show? You're the, you're the, see the expert ya. here. See ya. Uh, see ya, That's I guess. That's what I said. Pete Tong and Harry Dogster playing Sydney Melbourne Friday. Thank you, Pete Tong. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you.